Well, we are on, so we could just accidentally slip into a conversation if we wanted to. Okay. If we wanted to do something like that. The banana oh. pill. Whoop. Yep, here we go. <laughs> Listening to the Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casanos and Satch Purcell. Our guest today is Dr. Janice Davis. Dr. Davis is an occupational therapist who focuses on mental health. Today's conversation focuses on the transformative power of listening. So Janice Davis, welcome and thanks for joining us this evening. So glad you're here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, no, uh, this is, I'm excited about this. One of the reasons I'm excited about this is because you are an occupational therapist. Yes. I am an occupational therapist. This is the first mm-hmm. time I've had a chance to have a deep conversation with another OT. Uh, first time in a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. yeah. Um, we have a lot to to share with people. Yes. Yeah, we do. And I'm excited because I've spoken at your class a couple of times, mm-hmm. but now right. you get to speak in our class, which yes. is awesome. Yes. Well, a lot of people don't know what occupational therapists are. And part of the problem with that is it, 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 we do so much. We, we're everywhere. We're, we're in hospitals, school systems. We're everywhere. Um, but people don't really know what we do. And um, we basically help people through um, uh, difficult times if they've had a um, physical event happen that's traumatic, like a spinal cord injury stroke, something like that. But we also work in mental health, and that's my specialty. So I've always worked with people who um, have sometimes a chronic and severe mental illness, and other times maybe they're just going through a depression because of something that occurred in their lives. So I've spent a lot of time listening to people Hmm. and a lot of time learning what listening is and putting labels on it, and it's interesting because you can just keep going deeper and deeper with it uh, as you learn it. It can do amazing things to your life. It can change your life, <laughs> which is, um, it's really not a cliche. It, I, it's changed my life in a lot of ways, a lot of my relationships. When I first started to listen, it was like, wow, this is interesting. Uh, and I first learned to listen in a counseling program. I went uh, I went into a master's program many, many years ago, and my children were um, preteens, and I had been the kind of listener like, go to your room. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? I don't care. <laughs> and then I started listening, and it's like our relationships turned 360 degrees. We actually, I think, had much stronger bonds because I was able to really cut through some of that teenage stuff that goes on and get behind the the whatever they were saying and understand them from a different point of view and it really made us very close i think because they could trust me and i felt like i knew who they were janice um could you tell us a little bit about um 
you know, how you got interested in all this. I mean, what, what we don't know, or some of us listening don't know about your background and, and uh, where you're coming from and, and what drew you into this subject. So could you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, well, Satch uh, told you that I was an occupational therapist, and my uh, first job was in a psychiatric hospital, a private hospital, where we had clients um, throughout the life that we had pre-adolescence, adolescents, uh, adults, and older adults. And part of my, a big part of my job was leading groups, uh, leading groups that focused on, focused on life skills, coping skills, assertiveness training, things that would help people cope better with what they were d- dealing with, if it was depression or schizophrenia or anything. Um, and so I started observing the social workers and the psychologists, and I noticed, gosh, they're really using some interesting listening strategies. And that's when I knew I had to go back to school. And I went to get my master's in counseling at that point, because mm. I knew that the listening was the key. Um, was there somebody there that, that you admired that was really good at it? Oh, yes. There was a psychologist that I was lucky enough to get to co-lead a sexual abuse group with. And I that talk about trauma. We were talking about trauma before. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of trauma there, of course, and, and a loss. Uh, and so the way she would listen to these women and some men, um, you could see that they needed it so much. They needed to be heard. They didn't need to be guided. They didn't need advice. They didn't need someone telling them what they do. They just needed to be heard without judgment, without the need to provide them with a a path to a better life. And so in my program, I was lucky enough to have some amazing teachers who role modeled this for me. And we had, you know, obviously we went through a lot of... um, role plays and things like that to learn how to listen to each other. And then we actually practiced it um, because we had to do some counseling in the program. And that just opened a whole new world to me because I could not believe how impactful Hmm. learning how to listen to someone really was. And it's interesting because then when I'd go back to my psych hospital, my psychiatric hospital, and I would sit and interview a client or I'd be in group and I'd have people say to me, oh my gosh, nobody listens to me like this. And I started to get this feedback that I was like an amazing listener to them. And they, and I wasn't, but I wasn't an amazing listener. I was just doing what I was taught. But it's so rare, even in a psychiatric hospital where you would think that would be the place to go to get listened to? Mm-hmm. No. You'd go to the front desk and ask for a cigarette as a patient, and someone would, would say, this isn't the love boat. Get out of it. You know, go back to your room. Mm-hmm. You know, th- there was all these judgments and this. There, a lot of the hospital staff weren't trained in listening either and, or therapeutic use of self. And so there really was a lot of, of that, um, what is it, just kind of a disrespectful way to deal with people. Were they pigeonholing the... The people, yes, absolutely. The clients, or the patients. I think so. I think it was an us versus them kind of environment. But I learned through counseling, and probably part of my own just philosophy on life is that we're all on the same level. You know, mm. I just happen to have the keys to the locked unit, <laughs> but that doesn't mean I don't have my own pain or my own mistakes that I've made or my own days of depression. And so I'm no different than you as someone with 
depression, anxiety, schizophrenia. I'm trying to live life just like you are. And so that made me, I think, to the patients that I was dealing with, someone that they really appreciated. And I would hear that over and over again. And so I knew I was on to something. And that's when I thought, I have to go teach occupational therapists how to listen, mm. because this is too good. This stuff is good. And I started uh, then working for um, a local college where I taught some labs on uh, days when I wasn't working or in the evening. And I started to see that students could be taught how to do it and that they became better therapists for it. Is it safe to say that listening to a person therapeutically somehow brings out the best in that person? Yes, very much so. What is that? How does that happen? (laughs) Well, I think because you're allowing them the space to find out who they are. We listen to people in order to help them think better because you're holding up a mirror to them. Is this what you mean? Is this what you're thinking? Is this what you just said? Mm. That's, those are some mechanisms, like restatement, reflection of feeling. And that helps them think, okay, do I really, am I mad or am I more, more disappointed? You know, you help them and you don't have to get it right. Okay, so if you're listening to someone and you might, you might say, gosh, you seem, pretty, um, you seem pretty embarrassed about that. They might say, well, I'm not, no, I'm not really embarrassed. It's more humiliated. Okay, so you help them think through all that chatter in their head, and you you kind of, okay, now I know where I am. So, Satch, back to what you were saying, you bring out maybe the best in somebody? Is that what you're Yeah, I suppose what I was asking is that um, just by listening, do you somehow connect with them in such a way that you bring out a better version of them, maybe, or something along those lines? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I've had the same experience. Okay, you know, I want to hear it. Um, funny, similar to you, uh, when I was doing an occupational therapy uh, fieldwork rotation, there was a particular social worker that was just a master at taking the awkward, strange, bizarre, difficult things that these mental health clients would say. And he could just turn them around somehow. You'd really hear what they were saying Mm -hmm. and then somehow turn it around and reflect it back to them in such a way that it would diffuse the situation every time. And he was such a master of it that I was blown away by that. And I thought, I need to learn how to do that. It reminds me of a a lot what you were saying. You know, that that Mm -hmm. was my own experience. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm thinking of a time when there was this man, um, nice man. He had... uh, very chronic schizophrenia. And this social worker was rubbing his eyes. And the patient said, Oh, so, so you got, you got headaches, huh? You got headaches. You got headaches there. Huh? So if you got headaches, that's terrible. You know, you got to do it. He just kept going on and on with very, very pressured speech. And, uh, he said, you know what you need to do? You, you got to go to the store. And you got to buy that stuff. You put the solution in the cups, you put the cups over your eyes and you wash your eyes. You got to do that. If you have headaches, you got to wash your eyes. And the social worker just said, Oh yeah, that sounds like something I need to look into. Mm-hmm. And the guy just goes, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. diffuse the whole thing. And I just thought, Master Yoda. Master Yoda. Yeah, and you see what he didn't do? He didn't say, hey, Joe, get your act together. You know, calm down. You know, he didn't give him advice. He didn't tell him what to do. He got into his space. You know, it's like with people with um, dementia or Alzheimer's, we, we talk about, don't 
try to get them back into your world of reality, get into their world. And that's what you do with somebody, especially with schizophrenia. You get into their world and you make them feel good instead of bad about themselves. Um, it's like I, I was once in a rehab unit and um, one of the therapists called me over to work with this one gentleman who had a, a shoulder fracture, but he also had schizophrenia. And he happened to be talking about his hallucination, which was, look at all the blood in the trees. There's all this blood in the trees, kind of like your, you know, your pressured speech and all that. And a lot of times therapists who aren't trained in listening want to say, oh, no, there's no blood in the trees. You know, they want to fix it. <laughs> and Let me try to get that you on your reality. Exactly. Come yeah. back to reality. And, and no, of course not. There's, there's no blood. You're wrong. Uh, but instead, kind of like what you were saying, Satch, gosh, how does that feel to see, a, to see something like that? That must feel, you know, how are you feeling right now? And then you kind of bring it back to a reality that is there, but you're not, you're not feeding into the hallucination, but you're mm. also not chastising somebody for having a hallucination right? or trying right. to get them to, to not have it because you can't, you can't do that to people. Yeah. yeah. What, what if it's code for something else that, that you're going to understand by asking the question, it, you know, yeah. you know, what does it feel like, um, we ought to do about that? Mm-hmm. What are you Love feeling it. inclined to do mm-hmm. about the blood in the trees? Yes. Yes. In NLP and in hypnotherapy, um, there's a, a saying that you, you have to enter the model of the world of the person you're working with. First, mm-hmm. and that's primary because if you don't do that, there's no trust. They mm-hmm. don't know mm-hmm. that you are on their side, that you're on the same team. Yeah. Unless you can enter their model. Mm-hmm. And then from within their model, you might be able to encourage, support, mm-hmm. maybe even help them change. Did you feel drawn to go this route immediately, or did you kind of fall into it after the nursing programs and things that you did? How did this progression of getting into this side of, of what you do happen? I Once I discovered it, it was like discovering a gold mine that I just wanted to jump both feet into. Hmm. So I didn't, I didn't tarry. I took what I learned in my master's counseling program, and I used it with my patients in my psychiatric hospital. Then I taught it to OT students. Then I got together with a really interesting group of researchers in the um, field of communication Mm -hmm. who were focusing on listening and started doing some research with them, doing a little more training. And I'm I'm still training. (laughs) I'm still learning how to to listen. And my, my most recent uh, endeavor is to learn more about compassionate listening, which is a different level. It's it isn't it isn't uh, compassionate listening is um, well it's been around for centuries. I mean, philosophers, uh, Buddhists have been listening compassionately for centuries, mm-hmm. right? But there's um, in our modern times, this group in Seattle is um, doing compassionate listening to resolve conflicts in the Middle East between the Palestinians and Israelis, um, wow. in uh, other parts of the world, in Germany with the Germans and the Jewish people. And it's, um, it's a whole different skill set 
even though it encompasses a lot of the therapeutic and active listening. Well, that's a, that actually leads me to my next question, which is, is there a difference between therapeutic listening, active listening, you know, Socratic method? Mm-hmm. I mean, are they all related? Is it, you know, are there different types of listening that you could define that? Right. Yeah, there are different levels. So there's a superficial level called active listening. So it's it's just, oh, so you're feeling um, you're feeling pretty good today. You know, holding the mirror up, that's active. You're, you're not just going, mm-hmm, okay, and doing the dishes and really not listening, but nodding your head now and then. It's it's more active. You, you might restate what someone said. Like if a teenager says, gosh, I really wish dad would loan me the car. I'm really sick of being stuck here. So you feel like you'd like your dad to trust you more. You want more freedom. That's a restatement. So those are kind of techniques that you would use in active listening. You're, you're, and active listening is tiring. I mean, you're working. Mm. What are you working to do there? You're working to mirror, so you've got to listen very carefully, and you're looking to restate so someone can think better. And that means that you can't be thinking about the next thing you want to say, and that's actually, it's harder. Hmm. (laughs) You know, most of us, when we're listening to people, we're thinking, we're not really listening, we're thinking about what we want to say next. Yeah, or your retort. Yes, what is my retort going to be? Yeah. There's this thing called the hurrier model, um, where um, the the sound comes in, you hear it, but then there's there's other things you've got to do. You've got to interpret, you've got to analyze it, and then you've got to make a decision about what you're going to do with it in terms of the output. So, are you going to just use silence? A lot of times, just silence is a good listening tool. Hmm. Are you going to reflect feeling? Are you going to restate? Are you going to um, maybe do a validation? Like, I really appreciate you telling me that. You know, so there's all these little strategies that you can do with active listening, right? Hmm. Then therapeutic use of self is just another, another layer, maybe the next layer down. And, you know, you two are therapists. So tell me what you think. Therapeutic listening is really being authentic like presenting yourself as a real, authentic human being to the person you're listening to? I say yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you authentically listen to the other person, even if they have cognitive limitations or emotional limitations, like let's say they have um, pretty advanced Alzheimer's, when you make a decision that I'm going to go ahead and value this person, I'm going to listen to them, there's something about that act that strikes an authentic chord in them and they instantly respect you more and they'll listen and they trust you better. Yeah. You know, so I, I think, I think being authentic, not just because this is the authenticity show, but the actual <laughs> well, how convenient concept of being authentic. So right? convenient. <laughs> yeah. You know, real authenticness, if you could put it in a bottle is uh, something that humans just have this innate ability to recognize and it transforms yeah. the relationship. Yes. You know? Um, It reminds me of a time there was um, a lady, she was a long-term care resident in this skilled nursing facility that I worked at, and she was notorious for being mean. And I was warned by the CNAs, the RNAs, the different staff members, don't get too close, careful, she's a little mean, be careful, she'll (laughs) smack you in the face, she'll, you know. One day I was walking past her and I had these these little therabands, you know, for people that don't know what those are, little exercise stretchy bands, Mm -hmm. right? And they're red or yellow or whatever the color was. And I hear her say, oh, gorgeous. And I stopped. 
And I was in a hurry. And I turned around and looked at her and noticed she was looking at the TheraBands. And I said, oh, would you like to see these? And I squatted down, got at eye level, and I just let her... And she petted the TheraBands and she was talking about how gorgeous they are. No, just look at them. They're just beautiful. Hmm. And she was nice to me forever after that. Wow. You know, she just was. She was still mean to other people. But, <laughs> you know, I went, and went ahead and stopped and said, mm-hmm. let's just go ahead and let her enjoy this. This is nice for her. Mm-hmm. She's having mm-hmm. a good moment. Let me just foster yeah. that good moment, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, I had to choose to be authentic for her in that minute. Yeah. And um, she was exposing herself you know, sincerely. And so you know, we just sort of matched each other and it was a good moment. Yeah. Nice yeah. rapport. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was nice. Well, it seems like um, therapeutic use of self is definitely uh, rapport based too, because mm-hmm. um, you know, it's who you are and the connection that you build with that person that I think, at least from my perspective at an unconscious level, they start to believe in the relationship. Therefore they're believing in themselves to a degree. Mm-hmm. And um, that connection becomes a source of, um, information and um, interplay that goes beyond the exercises you do with them because mm-hmm. you know they have this living idea this this felt relationship inside that continues and it it seems to have an active um, component of their thought process even when you're not around so at least my interpretation of therapeutic use of self from um, you know my exposure from you guys really um, is that the quality of who you are and that relationship that you're building um, carries on and does something beyond uh, the specific exercises you do, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that you're actually helping them to get better, to um, feel better and to get back to the things that are important, partly because they know they're supported. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's an Mm -hmm. internal recognition that I have this relationship with someone who's helping me, who cares about me Mm -hmm. in a professional way there's compassion there. And so therefore, maybe it invites themselves to um, feel some of the same positive feelings for themselves in some way, mm-hmm. you know, to feel yeah. to feel good about who they are in those moments, doing those little simple exercises or whatever it is. I mm. agree. Yeah. I agree. They can take that with them to their room or the next week when they go home or something that I'm important enough to be cared about. You know, I am cared about by somebody. Maybe they and believe in me. Yes. That's so powerful oh, when well, someone it, believes in you. Oh my gosh. Man. Yes, it really, really is. Listening to the Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Next up, Carlos and Satch continue their conversation with Dr. Janice Davis. tell a student story oh please please so i had this really good student and um she went on field work which is where a student is not ready to graduate and be licensed as a therapist yet but they go to it's an internship basically and so they go work in a hospital or another setting and they're supervised by a licensed occupational therapist so my student was brand new student at this hospital 
And um, one day, the group of therapists at lunch were talking to her, and, and they said, you know, we're going to give you Mr. Jones down the hall. Um, we're going to have you go talk to him. And um, then they kind of were teasing her and saying, we're going to send you because he does. He won't work for any of us. He's really grumpy. He doesn't <laughs> like anybody. He wasn't, doesn't want to go to therapy. And we're just sick of trying, so we're going to send you. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, I can imagine what my student was thinking. Um, and so she went down to his room and, you know, of course, he didn't want to go to therapy and he was grumpy and she just kind of took a moment. And instead of giving up, she just kind of started talking to him about some things. And she said, well, what is it you, what is it you love to do? And he almost started tearing up. Eventually, I think he did. She told me that he actually cried. But he started talking about how he, he was an older gentleman, and he was retired, but he loved to fish. And he thought, because he'd had a stroke, that he would never fish again. I think his mm. vision for himself, as she related it to me, was that I'm going to go home and I'm going to sit in a chair, and that's where my life is going to be. For the, Waste away. Uh, yeah. So, you know, he couldn't envision himself at the end of a dock with a fishing pole in hand, safe, you know, casting and all that. So um, my student said, gosh, I really appreciate you telling me this story. I think tomorrow I might bring in a fishing pole. Nice. And if that's okay with you, do you mind going out, maybe outdoors with me? We can take you outside and we can we can just see how how you're going to, you know, be able to use this fishing pole. And she just, of course, amazed all the other therapists, you know, who couldn't, mm -hmm. couldn't get this man to do anything. But it was because she just took a moment, you know, she took a moment to just, I'm going to find out who this guy is. I'm going to get behind the grumpiness, like you did, Satch, with your grumpy lady in the TheraBounds, you know, get behind it. Who is this person? And really listen. Don't chastise him for not going to therapy or tell him he should be doing something. Um, that's why we have so much conflict in the world. <laughs> you know, we always want to tell people what to do. And um, a lot of healthcare students um, really believe their job is to help people, and that means tell them what to do. And so totally. what I do yeah. is I take that away from them. And I say, you're not going to help today. You're just going to sit there and listen, and you're going to accept and you're not going to judge, and you're going to give this person a gift because wow. you may be the only person throughout their whole day, week, month, life that has ever listened to them. That must be really hard for some people to do. Oh, my gosh. It's very hard. Some students just can hardly do it <laughs> because wow. they are really stuck in their role. Can they learn? Yes. If I get on them enough and I say, nope, let's do it again. You tried to help me because I'll role play with them, mm -hmm. you know, and I'll try to be authentic when I role play. Part of the compassionate listening training is to be real. So if you're teaching people how to be a compassionate listener, you, you really use something from your own life so that it is authentic and they know that you're, you do have a little point of pain or suffering. There's that word again. Yeah. So, um, and I role-played that the other day with a student, and I said, oh, gosh, you know, my daughter's getting married. I have all these financial obligations, and I just don't know what I'm going to do. And she said, well, have you thought about this? Oh, boy. <laughs> and I said, 
Stop. Eh. <laughs> exactly. Compassion before solutions. Let's try this again. Just say, oh, gosh. Sounds like you're kind of in a, in a place, you know, where you're trying to figure things out. Yes, that's great. Another thing about listening, the way I tell my students, you know that it's working, and you know this set, you know it too, mm. Carlos, you'll see the person's breathing and facial expression change. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Because when you don't listen well, you, can, you will observe tension, maybe a look in the eye, maybe kind of a stopping of the, the breathing. And when you listen, you'll see this relaxation almost come about with the, other per- with the speaker. Because it's like, ah, oh, finally, I'm being heard. Mm. It's very obvious to me. But I've been looking for it all these years. But for students, I try to tell them, look at their breathing. If you're doing it right, they're going to be more relaxed. If you're not, it, they're going to be more tense. Because nobody wants to be told what to do. <laughs> wow. That's, that brings to mind um, a pet peeve that I'd like to share, um, just in the NLP side of things, um, which is that um, very often, so, well, at least in my own experience, uh, teachers and practitioners often, they jump right in with solutions. And they're, they're directing your conversation right away. And you're, they're doing pattern interrupts with you. Um, you know, verbal pattern interrupts and, and um, trying to reframe everything right away instead of just collecting data and absorbing what's there. And um, that can be really jarring for a lot of people. If the person's not ready at that moment, what you've done is you've just actually broken rapport. They now feel unsafe. You, you know, all this talk about staying in rapport and NLP and things like that, but then um, at least in my own investigation of it, it does seem like the people who do that are just afraid themselves of opening them. They're, they're worried that if they, if they listen, now I'm mind reading a little to say this, but it seems like they're scared to hear what other people's stuff is. You know, like they're, they're so worried about getting caught up in the story because they want to focus on the structure. And, and there's a good reason for that, but it has to be done at the right time. Mm-hmm. Milton H. Erickson um, spent a lot of his time just listening and talking with the person, collecting data, um, processing it. I mean, it helped him to form metaphors that he could then fire back at the person, mm. and it transformed, it changed their lives because he could really make the stories he was telling fit the person. Mm-hmm. And so I, I remember listening to a, a lecture of his, just a, um, an audio recording of Milton Erickson. He was talking in front of like a whole room full of doctors and psychiatrists, and uh he was, somebody asked him, well, how long, you know, is a typical session with you? And uh, he said, well, I, I don't have any particular length of time. I mean, it could be anything from 20 minutes to, you know, six hours. Now, most people won't spend six hours with a client at one sitting or, or longer even. You know, he said, it could be weeks. Um, but depending on the circumstances, because he really felt that for him to embrace the person's healing process, that he had to understand that person really well. Like we said at the beginning, entering the model of the world of the person you're working with, he would enter their model by understanding the model. The only way to do that is to listen. Mm-hmm. Listening yeah. is the key to their world. That's the theme, huh? Mm-hmm. Listening is the mm-hmm. key to entering their world. Hmm. Yes. yes. So I have a question. Mm-hmm. Compassionate listening how do you approach t- 
teaching that to somebody who maybe feels that they're not compassionate? Maybe they have a hard time with compassion. Um, are there ways of getting around that? Yes. Uh, let's go back to define compassionate listening as listening that whose goal is to end suffering and resolve conflict and promote reconciliation. Hmm. End suffering. End suffering. Resolve conflict. Resolve conflict and promote or facilitate reconciliation. Got it. Okay. okay. So let's say, I don't know if either of you have a brother-in-law, but let's say your brother-in-law. We do. We do. <laughs> And maybe it's not your brother-in-law, but <laughs> we could say, talk about someone else's. That, for example, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use an example here. I was just up in San Francisco. And I was in another city not too long ago. What I'm noticing in these cities are all the tents that the homeless people are putting up. I lived in San Francisco three years ago. I, I moved from there to here. Okay. So I certainly saw homeless people in San Francisco. But when I went back last weekend, I was seeing a lot more tent cities everywhere I looked. There was a tent city. Let's say you're a person, and I bring up the brother-in-law thing. Let's say you're at dinner with your family, and your brother-in-law says, gosh darn it, I am really sick of these homeless people, and I'm sick of all these tent cities, right? Hypothetical brother-in-law. Hypothetical, of course. (laughs) But you, so you're a compassionate person. So you don't quite feel the same way as your brother-in-law who's not compassionate, right? Hypothetical brother-in-law. Hypothetically. Yes. <laughs> how do you how do you you know, and especially in these times with the divisiveness we have in this country with people who like our president and people who don't, this is a perfect time to learn how to listen compassionately. Amen. Um because we have a lot of people shouting at each other. So you're at dinner with your brother-in-law, and he's, he's complaining about all these homeless people that live in these tent cities and how it's, I don't like to look at them when I go to work, and they're, you know, always Get in the way and just annoying. So you have to teach that person you don't have to. You could try to be com- a compassionate listener to them, even though you totally disagree with what they're saying. Okay, yeah, there are a lot of tent cities. I've been noticing that. Boy, isn't that... Makes you wonder why all these people are on the streets. So you don't argue. You just kind of go along with the observation. Yeah, well... I don't think they need to be on the streets. They could go, aren't there shelters they can go live in? Or they need to get jobs. Yeah, gosh, it must be hard to to have to live that way when you look around and so many people have nice cars. And, you know, so you respond in a compassionate way. And it kind of takes the wind out of their sails because you're not telling them you disagree. You're not arguing with them. You know how you can have some family arguments at dinner, right? So <laughs> you kind of train them by the way you speak. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good that's a good key right there. Yeah. Yeah, you train them by the way you speak. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's nice. Mm-hmm. It's a great example um because um you know asking the person um I wonder why that is, 
you know, why are all these homeless people on the street? That you're right. That's you're, you're agreeing. You're doing a yes. And, you know, you're saying, yeah, that's, that's true. And I wonder, you know, um, what could we do about that? Or I wonder what people are doing about it. Or I wonder if there's something going to be done about that. And it, it's not arguing, it's just asking a question. And, um, you know, it could really open up a conversation to say, you know, if you were in charge, what would you do? Oh, you love know? it. Yes. Or if it was somebody that you cared mm-hmm. about, that could be a follow-up question. You know, if, mm-hmm. if it was somebody in your family that you cared about who had that circumstance, what would you do? Mm-hmm. You know, it'd be interesting. It would. But what if they said, oh, nobody in my family would ever be homeless. Yeah. I know they wouldn't be, but what if they did? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I read years ago that there was research that was looking at um, what is it that causes opposing groups to start to like each other. Mm-hmm. And really, it's having to get to know each other. Really, that's really what the answer was, right? What, what, why is it that two different groups of people uh, are at odds with each other? Because they don't know each other. And they get to know each other. And then mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to hate somebody that you know, I mean, yeah. within reason, uh-huh. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, you know, you have gang members from two opposing neighborhoods. How could they know each other? You go into that territory, you get shot. You, you mm-hmm. can't get to know each other, mm-hmm. but creating opportunities for them to have to work together to get to know each other in a safe situation, it's kind of hard to shoot somebody that you know. There's a... Um organization in Orange County called the Illumination Foundation. Part of their mission is to help persons who are homeless, who've been hospitalized, um, help them recover without going having to go back on, out onto the streets too early, right? So they have a clinic where people can go and, and they can have a bed and they can have a shower and they can have even have a nurse look after them if they have a wound or um, they have something that they're healing from. And so what I did with my students after I taught them active listening in class and we role played with each other, then I said, now we're going to do it for real. And the, the uh, Illumination Foundation was kind enough to offer um, an opportunity for my students to go and just hang out in this clinic and have conversations with the people there. And these are people who are homeless, um, who are recovering. So recovering from some kind of illness. So my students, a lot of them had never, well, they, they weren't listeners before, but they were, they were now going to test out their new skills. After they came back from the compassionate listening and after the training, they said, uh, one student said, I've grown up. That's, mm. How powerful is that? I've grown up. (laughs) Another student said, this was a paradigm shift for me, which I think is is huge. My view on how to communicate with people has changed tenfold, was another student's comment. This one I love. um, And maybe we can discuss why why you can help me understand why I love it so much. Uh, the student said, it is now apparent that having someone to listen to you is valued within human nature. Now, I don't want to dissect that sentence for how it was written, but it is within human nature 
to listen to you is valued. What does that say yeah. to you? What did this student learn? It's like it's fulfilling a human need. A human need. It, yeah, it's yeah. like air and water and Connection. food and shelter. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, we need right. to be heard. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, we, we are social beings. Yes. And, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, something about listening and listening well mm-hmm. taps into that deep need to be part of something more than yes. just an individual. Belonging. Yeah. Connection. Yeah. Love. Yeah. There's a lot in common between those three things. Oh, yeah. Nice. Those are some powerful statements, Janice. Wow. One student said that being a witness to someone's story is far more impactful than any piece of advice that I could offer them. That's when I kind of went, yes, because there's that student who wants to give advice and fix and I say, no, you're not allowed to fix (laughs) when you're you're listening. That's a student who really got it. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Good stuff. Yeah, it really is. It really is good stuff. I have, I have another student story. Oh, love it! I just popped into my head. We love fans of stories. And I love stories too. And this was getting back to a patient with Alzheimer's, and my student was on a field work in a skilled nursing facility, and it was one of those same cases where here's this patient client, whatever you want to call him, who was not doing what the staff wanted him to do. and this person, his behavior actually was yelling throughout the unit constantly, all day long, day after day, where's Sheila? Sheila, where are you? Where's Sheila? All day mm-hmm. long. And of course, he was probably looking for someone he cared about. We don't really know who she was. So my student took this patient back to his room, and the patient was yelling this, and and the, my student said, well, tell me about who she is. You know, who is this person? And then they, the person was able to say something back to my student where they kind of got a little conversation going. And and then my student entered into that, what do you call it, an NLP? Oh, the model of the in world. The of, model. Yeah. And uh, said, you know what? I'm going to try to find her, and I bet you she's going to come up, come any minute. I bet you we're going to find her soon. And the man, the gentleman, um, looked at him, and I won't say his name, but he, he said my student's name. Oh, thank you so much. And he broke into tears. And he didn't yell out the name Sheila for the rest of the time my student oh, was there. Again, great. it's just... Hmm. Yeah. Don't fight it. You know, don't fight what people are saying. Yeah. Get into their space. Be a witness. Give them that gift of just shutting your mouth (laughs) and nodding your head and good eye contact now and then um, and giving them some relief. Yeah. Because, you know, that's a beautiful story. and, and And it reminds me of this principle that when you do shut your mouth and just listen, don't worry. At some point, you're going to have to speak. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. And now you're true. armed with all kinds of rich material. This is what Carlos taught me as in NLP, utilization. You yeah. utilize what they tell you. They give you all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you go, oh my gosh, now it's time for me to speak. They're expecting me to say something. Mm-hmm. Now I have something that I can share, mm-hmm. you know? Let me give an example. I remember there was a lady that I was evaluating she was confused. She was in her hospital bed. 
And we'd had a nice long conversation and I was asking her questions and she was giving me responses and we just had a nice good heart to heart connection. And she was as loopy as the day is long. And all of a sudden she looks at me and she says, what are all these people doing in my house? And I said, Oh, I see. Yes. Yes. So these people work here. These are various nurses. And of course, you know, being at a hospital, their, their job is to come into people's rooms and to uh, do their, their daily chores and, and those sorts of things that are part of their duties. And I could see the wheels turning in her mind like, wait a minute, I'm not at home. I'm at a hospital. But because her and I had already created a nice connection, it was a nice gentle way of not shaking her out of her delusion. Mm-hmm. It was a nice way of just giving her a little cue. And then she climbed out on her own and realized, oh, I was confused. I'm not at my house. Then she didn't have to feel embarrassed with me. Mm-hmm. Um, she didn't have to feel ashamed that she was confused. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And that was only because I spent probably 10 minutes just listening to her. Yeah. Yeah. She you felt know. safe with you and... Felt like you cared for her, and yeah. that's a nice story. Yeah. I like that. Can I share a, an old story from my bouncer days? Mm. This is, you know, I, I bounced nightclubs and did different kinds of, uh, um, you know, physical security at, at uh, various places for about 20 years. Um, and this was a long time ago. This is probably about maybe 15 years ago. Um, but we were at a nightclub, and this, this is not an uncommon thing. This is something that happened regularly, actually. Um, but this guy was causing trouble and he had to be removed and he kept saying, you know, I'm going, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving, you know, I'm, 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 you know, stop touching me, you know, don't effing touch me, you know? And, uh, so these bouncers, you know, caught up in their ego, you know, the heat of the moment, you know, they were touching him and he kept, you know, shaking loose and he was causing problems, you know, he was fighting back and it came out to where I was and, you know, I kind of put my hands up like, Hey, I got it. I got it. You know, I kind of asserted myself with the other uh, security guards and told them, like, basically cut it out. I've got this. And I, I kept a certain amount of space between me and this other guy. And I instantly, you know, I instantly came to him as though um, I was the person he was waiting to see. You know, mm-hmm. like, like, here I am kind of thing. And I'm listening to you. And, and I said, so what's going on? How are you, man? Like, you know, how's your night going? Obviously not that great, but why don't you tell me about it? And we sat down. I actually turned my body so that I wasn't squaring up with them. Because, you know, as you know, when you square up with somebody, they feel like you're confronting them. Mm-hmm. So I angled my body a little bit. It's also safer yeah, <laughs> to, to be in that position physically. Um, but, you know, then I sat down. I kind of mimicked his posture a little bit. I, you know, he was hunched forward. I hunched forward a little bit. You know, I kind of took the same angle, which in NLP we talk about getting into physical rapport, right? Um, you know, at an unconscious level, it signals that this person's friend, not foe. You know, they're, they're part of me. And so we started talking, and he told me this uh, pretty painful story. It was really short, but he talked about it. His wife had just left him, and he was heartbroken and all that. And he just calmed down, like, really quick. I mean, within seconds to minutes, he was just conveying his story, and there was no more aggression. There was none, none of the you know, irrational fighting response coming out of him. He was just talking to me. And, and at the end of it, you know, we shook hands and I said, you know, I'm sorry you had a bad night and, you know, um, you know, sorry about how that must've felt to you getting pushed out like that. And, um, you know, at least we're here and you you can come back another night. Um, tonight, you know, as you know, you've, you've had a lot to drink and, 
you know, probably wouldn't be a good idea to go in there, right? And he's like, yeah, you're, you're right. I shouldn't go back in there. I said, besides, you don't want to see those jerks. You know, I just kind of took his side on it a little bit. And, um, you know, we called him a cab. He took off. Um, you know, I got him to not drive. That's the other thing because he was going to drive. But because we had rapport, I could then take the liberty of suggesting that he, you know, take care of himself. That, you know what, regardless of what he's been through with the wife and all that, it ain't worth throwing away the life for. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, tomorrow you're going to wake up, may have a little headache. You may need to hydrate a little bit, but basically tomorrow will continue. The sun's going to come up and other things are going to happen in your life that might be good. Yeah. So just listening to him, and, and I can't tell you how many times I see videos um, that are so aggravating. You see people being forcibly removed from various places, and the person is actually walking towards the door, and their hands are open, palms open. There's no weapons there. They're literally just trying to get away at that point. They're irritated, they're angry, they're threatened, but they're saying, I'm leaving, stop touching me. You know, stop touching me, I'm leaving. And, um, you know, inevitably the, uh, in the videos that I've seen, they're, they're getting manhandled by the police and eventually ends up, you know, that they're being tasered or beaten or whatever. And I've seen this over and over and over again. And all they had to do is step out of their ego for a moment and realize that just a little bit of listening would have allowed this person to exit the place, to, to retain a, a modicum of dignity. Dignity, absolutely. Civility. And, yeah, and, and civility, and, and it would have earned those police officers an incredible amount of credit, I think. You know, as, as a citizen, I would look at that and say, you know, that's how you should handle it. been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. A very special thanks to our guest, Dr. Janice Davis. The show is produced by Oliver Altine. Our theme music is composed by Oliver Altine. You can find more information on our website, AuthenticityShow.com. Thanks for listening, and have an authentic day. <laughs>